Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. For this series, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a book of the Bible together over the next, um, well, quite frankly, from now until Thanksgiving, we're going to be walking through Ephesians together. And you might go, that's a long time. I don't know if it'll keep my attention. Um, Sorry, I don't know. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing from now until Thanksgiving. Uh, But I'm excited about it because we get to go deep into the Word and really unpack what Paul has to say to the church at Ephesus. Um, The the city of Ephesus was a really important city geographically. If you look at a map, it's located in modern-day Turkey on the west coast of Asia. So at that time, uh, Ephesus was a, a city on a bay, and since then, um, the bay has been silted up, and the town literally disappeared. It, it went away. Uh, but at this time, when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus, he had planted a church there. He had started the church, so he had relationship with many of the people there. Uh, and then he had gone away, and he actually wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. He wrote this letter at the same time that he wrote uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, he also wrote the book of Colossians and um, and uh, the book of Philemon all at the same time. So if you read any of those books together, there's some similar themes and thoughts that kind of are interwoven between uh, between those, those different books of the Bible. Uh, the city of Ephesus was a um, center for commerce and trading. It was a center for ideas and thought. Uh, people from all over the world would gather in Ephesus. In fact, there are some historians that feel like uh, Ephesus was the most cosmopolitan city on the continent of Asia at that time. Uh, there was more trade going through Ephesus, uh, just more ideas. There was a religious center as well. They had temples all over the place. Um, in, in Roman culture, they were pantheonistic, so they believed in all kinds of different gods. Um, and so they had temples for everything. They had the Temple of Artemis was one of the most uh, beautiful structures in the world. In fact, it was one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world, and that was located in Ephesus. Uh, but they had temples for um, Julius Caesar, where they could worship Caesar. They had memorials for all of the different uh, Roman emperors uh, that, that of that time, Trajan and several others. Uh, but they had temples for lesser gods and deities as well that people would worship. Um, they also believed in the occults. So they believed in magic. They believed in the supernatural, which we see throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul really takes advantage of that, and he really speaks to that. And I love the fact that Paul doesn't avoid culture. He actually engages culture through the filter of Scripture and through uh, what God would have for us. And so he doesn't avoid it. He doesn't hide from it. He engages it. Um, another thing we see is because the, the, church in the, the Ephesian church was so diverse, because we feel like we're a fairly diverse church as far as age, uh, if we're going to be honest, There's a lot of white people in the room, but we're fairly diverse for Indiana County, if I can say it like that. Uh, But we value diversity at Summit Church. Uh, But the church at Ephesus was wildly diverse. There were people from all nationalities, all languages, um, ethnicities, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, all this diversity in this church. And at times, diversity can cause challenges because you've got people that come from different backgrounds and they believe a little differently or think a little differently. Uh, and so we see Paul address even things like this in, uh, in the book of Ephesians, in this letter that he writes. So w- what we see, there are a couple themes that kind of spring to the top. Um, one of the themes we see is that um, when, we, when we look at Ephesians, um, we see that God's purpose 
is to reconcile all things and all people back to himself. That's what his desire is. Um, and so that's what we see as a recurring theme throughout Ephesians. But we also see this theme that God will take very diverse people and a very diverse culture and he will make them one in the body of Christ. So in spite of our differences, in spite of what our, our um, skin color might be, uh, in spite of what our political affiliation might be, in spite of what our ethnicity or our, our uh, nation of, of uh, our heritage is, none of those things matter in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we are one. And we see this theme over and over and over again as well. And I feel like that's especially appropriate in the day and age we live in today because the day and age we live in today is such a divided culture. Um, so many people want to draw lines and say you're either there or there, but you can't bridge the gap. Uh, you're either Republican or Democrat. And if you're Republican, the Democrats are evil. And if you're a Democrat, the Republicans are evil, right? And we paint this picture. But the truth is in Christ, in the body of Christ, very divergent people can come together as one under the blood of Christ. And so this is the theme we see. Then we see Paul says our response as believers to what we see in Ephesians should be gratitude. Should be us saying, um, in light of the price God paid for us by sending his son, um, everything else pales in comparison. So no matter how bad my day might have been, no matter what might be going on at my work or my home, um, all this stuff pales in comparison to the price that Christ paid for my life. So as a result, uh, I might have a bad day, but it's never really a bad day. Does that make sense to anybody? Because I, I always filter it through this, this, this idea or this memory of Christ paid all so I could know God, so I could be in relationship with God. So at the end of the day, that should be reflected in our lives, in our everyday life, that, that um, thankfulness and gratitude should just be a natural function of who we are, that we don't have to make ourselves joyful because when we remember the price that Christ paid for us, uh, it should elicit joy out of us. Does that make sense? And so this is what Paul says to us, and this is kind of an overview, a basic overview of what we see um, in the book of Ephesians. So if it's all right with you, we're going to jump right in. We're going to start in verse 1, and so literally we're going to walk verse by verse through this uh, over the next, over the next uh, oh, 12 weeks or so. So if you think this is long, uh, two years ago, was it two years ago? We did Sermon on the Mount, was it two years ago? And that was, I think that was 18 weeks we did Sermon on the Mount, so you're just lucky we're not doing Sermon on the Mount, people. So, um, so we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 together today. And just so you know, I read from the English Standard Version. That's not better than other versions, it's just the version I prefer. So if you're following along and it's hard for you, you can look at the screens. Uh, it'll, it'll be the same interpretation as what I'm reading. So Ephesians 1, 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one of the things that's interesting here is Paul doesn't name names. So he says to the church at Ephesus, but he doesn't name uh, the different leaders of the Ephesian church or name people by name. And so some people, uh, there's some scholars that said, well, hey, this, this maybe was not Paul as the author. Maybe it was somebody else who said they were Paul. Uh, but there's a few things that debunk that. Number one, um, when Paul would write a letter, and we see this, he, he would usually use someone who was commonly known between him and the people receiving the letter to validate the authenticity of the letter. So 
they would be able to deliver the letter and say, yes, I took this from Paul's hand. Here's what he had to say. And it was somebody that they already knew. So it would validate the authenticity. And we see that is actually true in Scripture here. But then the other thing is, um, the Ephesian church was spreading like wildfire. It was growing. And as a result, there were churches all over that area that identified Ephesus as its mother church. And so Paul didn't know everyone around. He knew the church at Ephesus. And so one of the theories is that Paul wrote the letter, but he intentionally left it um, unpersonalized so that that letter could be circulated among the churches in that area so that they could receive the, the benefit of it as well, the benefit of the destruction. So in a similar way, today, thousands of years later, we're receiving the benefit of that, uh, just like the church in the Ephesian area did as well. Um, so this is what we see, and this is one of the reasons Paul is not explicit. We see that in some of his letters he is, but in this case he was not. Uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Early on in this letter, in fact, in the first line, he acknowledges the sovereignty of God. He acknowledges the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus, but the only reason I'm a, I get to be a follower of Jesus is because God is so incredible. Um, and sometimes we slip into this place where we think somehow we've earned or deserved salvation, because I attend church a lot, or I volunteer, or I help, or I serve, or I'm part of a small group, or I started giving some money, and so God owes me. And at the end of the day, the only reason any of us are followers of Christ is because God allows us to be, that, that God invites us to be. We only got to go to the party because we got invited to the party. And that's unusual for me. I never got invited to many parties growing up, okay? So I like being invited to the party. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He says to the saints at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, he, he identifies at the end of the day, hey, um, God is sovereign, God is important, he is above all, and he also identifies the Lord Jesus Christ in this triune leadership that, that we acknowledge as the Trinity. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, um, just to give you an idea, in the Greek language, uh, the Greeks use long sentences. And so uh, verse 3 through 14 in this passage, in the original Greek, is actually one long sentence. And so if you tried to read it, it would be confusing for us in the English translation. So that's why in English they break it up, uh, they make it into multiple sentences, or, or you know, they'll put commas in to make sure we space it out so we can understand it. But in the original Greek, this is one congruent thought. This is one idea. So it's not multiple ideas at work. It is one single solitary idea that's working throughout this passage. So I just want to make sure you understand that as we walk through this. But it says that Christ Jesus has blessed us in Christ, or God has blessed us through Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you, I like, does anybody like blessings? I and mean, we don't want to admit we like blessings, but come on, don't we like to be blessed? Some of you people are lying right now. In church, you're lying to the pastor. We all like to be blessed. And when we hear this, we go, hey, uh, God is blessing us through Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We go, that's great, but I don't need it in heavenly places, right? <laughs> I got my rent due this week. I got to pay the rent. I got a flat tire. I'm, I'm losing my job. Like, I need spiritual blessings right now, right? I don't want to wait till heaven. But this is, this is the beauty of what Paul is saying. Um, we get so short-sighted in our spiritual walk and in our Christian faith that sometimes we think what we see and what we feel and what we taste, what we, what we can 
experience with our senses is real and that heaven is somehow a fairy tale. But what we see in Scripture is that heaven is very real. In fact, that is going to be eternity. And Scripture makes it clear to us that our lives here on planet Earth are but a vapor. A vapor in the wind. They disappear quickly. You ever walk outside in the middle of the winter, and I know you don't want to think about winter right now, but you walk outside in the middle of the winter, and you can see your breath, and it disappears, right? And that's how quickly our life vanishes. We think this is real. We think this is life. But at the end of the day, uh, it's just a vapor. And so we can say, God, I want my blessing now. But if I could have it for eternity or in this moment, give me eternity. And this is what Paul's trying to help us see. He's trying to give us perspective on what is really going on in our lives, that our life is not just about what we see and the breathing in and breathing out and going to work and coming home and wash, rinse, and repeat. That's not what this life is about. This life is about us saying, God, um, I want to make an impact for you, and I want to take as many people as I can to eternity with me, because eternity is what this is really all about. And so Paul's trying to help us understand that, that yes, we have a blessing waiting for us, in heavenly places. Um, we'll come back to that, that idea in just a minute. Verse 4 says this, Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Um, there. The truth is, a lot of people don't care a lot about deep theology. Now, you might be offended by that, and you might say, I do care about theology, it's important. But the truth is, most people pick churches based on, um, am I going to hear the word of God? Am I going to uh, be able to worship? Do I like the worship? Uh, is there something for my kids? Do my kids like going? Are the bathrooms clean? Is there a good seat for me somewhere? Is the parking lot easy? Right? Like Those are the reasons a lot of people pick churches. Um, very few people ask me my theology about end time events when they come to the church. Because at the end of the day, some of those things are kind of peripheral to most people. Um, but I want to kind of wade into a theological topic with you uh, because Paul talks about it just a little bit here. So he uses in this passage some language that is a little bit provocative. He says, even as he chooses us in him before the foundations of the world, and he comes back in verse 5 and says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And so there, there's, a, there's a vein of, of doctrine and theology. Um, it's called Calvinism. And there's Calvinists are going to heaven, I believe that, uh, but there's just a difference of opinion. And what tends to happen, anytime there's an argument or two sides of a discussion, it's easy to villainize or demonize the other side of the discussion. So if you're a Democrat, it's easy to look at Republicans and go, they're evil. And if you're a Republican, it's easy to look at Democrats and go, they're evil. And maybe some Republicans are evil, and maybe some Democrats are evil, but it's, it's the fringy ones at most. But most people are good, right? Uh, and some of you are like, I don't know. So we, we'll stop that conversation. But it's easy in this theological t discussion to look at the other side and go, those people, and, and characterize them. But the truth is, uh, in, in Calvinist theology, one of the tenets is that we are predestined by God. So God picks us and appoints us from the beginning of time. He picks those who will receive salvation beforehand. Now, one way to look at it is to go, oh, well, he picks the people he loves and he dooms the rest of us to hell. Um, that's not exactly the right way to look at it. So I want to walk through this with you because I'm kind of on the other side of the debate. Um, a lot of Calvinists will say, um, 
people on my side believe in free will and it usurps the authority of Christ, that it somehow usurps his sovereignty, that, that God isn't really sovereign if we get to pick if we're going to heaven or not. Um, but really, there's a way to walk through this, I think, that kind of bridges this gap. Um, and let me, let me explain it to you just in layman's terms like this. Um, in my house, uh, I am sovereign. Now, it makes it sound like I've got an, I'm on an ego trip or something, but um, when, my mom, when my wife lets me, I'm sovereign in my house, okay? So uh, in my home, I'm, I'm the boss, and my girls understand that. And so if my girls ask me something, they want to do something, I tell them no. They know no is no, right? Like, you can't do that. Um, and so what happens, though, is there's a lot of decisions my girls make that I'm, I'm cool with. Like, hey, you can fix whatever you want for lunch. I'm good with that. Or does that make sense? As my girls are getting older, I, I know I can trust them. And so I give them more responsibility to make choices about different things in their lives. Now that doesn't take away my role as the parent in the home. It doesn't mean that I don't have authority. It doesn't mean if I can say it like this, that I'm not sovereign. But what it means is uh, in my authority, I've allowed them to make some decisions. Um, now, in the same way, whenever we have free will in our lives, it doesn't undermine God's sovereignty. In fact, what it does is it actually reaffirms his love for us because our God is so sovereign in his authority, he allows us the free will to choose whether we'll serve him or not. So the other night, um, I, was, I was talking with my youngest daughter, Emma. Uh, she was, I was putting her to bed and we were talking and she's, um, she's about to turn 12 and uh, and yeah, she's about to turn 12, which is crazy. Um, throws me off because we had her birthday party a couple weeks ago. So I'm a mess now. I can't remember. Anyway, so the other night I'm putting her to bed and we're talking and she said, Daddy, why would, why would God let people go to hell? I said, well, what do you mean? And he, he, she said, well, why doesn't he just make everybody love him? And to her, to a child, to a 12-year-old, she goes, why, first of all, why would anybody choose not to love God, but why would God even let that happen? And I told her, I said, you know what? God loves us so much that he loves us too much to make us choose him. He loves us so much that even if we choose not to love him, he, will, he would rather have that than just have a group of robots that mindlessly serve him. And I said, he loves us enough to give us free will to choose whether we love him or not. Now, um, that's hard to understand, but think about this. As a parent, uh, as a parent, as your kids get older, they have free will. They can choose to follow the guidance you've given them in their life. You, they can choose to follow some of the, the, the guidelines you put out, or they can choose to do their own thing. And it is heartbreaking to see children do their own thing and rebel against what they were taught and rebel against the Word of God and to run from God's purposes and plans for their lives. It's heartbreaking to see that. And in just the same way that parents are heartbroken over that, I believe our Heavenly Father is heartbroken over that. But yet He loves us too much to make us love Him. Uh, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that, that free will was really important. Um, God was trying to reestablish his covenant with the nation of Israel. So he had established a covenant with them on Mount Sinai that uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he was trying to reestablish that covenant because they had kind of gotten sideways with him. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30 or 29, he's, he's doing this. And then what we see is Moses and God speaking through Moses is trying to convince the people of Israel to, to reestablish this covenant with God. Um, let me read some of this to you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you want to read the whole, 
portion. I'll read some of it to you today. It says in verse 15, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules. Then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Then verse 17 says, but. So what we see here is this choice. So God is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. And he says, basically, if I can paraphrase it, um, God says, I want to bless you. I want your life to be good and full and rich. I want you to experience the things uh, that, that you can't even imagine. But I can only do that if you choose to follow me. That's my desire for you. But, in verse 17 it says, If your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So what we see here in the book of Deuteronomy is this clear choice that we have a decision to make between life and death, blessing and curse, good and evil. And um, this seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? Like if somebody said, hey, um, I can either give you a million dollars or I can punch you in the throat, what's it going to be? It'd be like, huh, you know, I haven't been punched in the throat lately. Um, It'd be no-brainer, right? And we look at this and go, why wouldn't you choose blessing? And the truth is... um, It's hard. It's hard to live a life for God. It's hard to follow his precepts because we have to sacrifice some things that we love and some things we care about sometimes. We have to lay ourselves down daily. It's what Paul talks about, crucifying our flesh daily. Um, And so what we see here is this idea that there's a choice to make and it's a very real choice. And it seems easy, but the truth is there are people all the time that choose the curse over the blessing and they choose death over life. And choice is a part of who we are and part of what God and his sovereignty has allowed for us. So God doesn't determine beforehand who's on his team and who's not. What he does is he invites everyone, and then there are some who choose and some who don't. And it doesn't undermine God's authority. It actually reflects his love for us in that moment. Uh, John chapter 6, Jesus said in verse 37, he said, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's whosoever will. Jesus was a guy, he, um, if you look at his team that he picked for his disciples, they were, the, they were the bad news bears. Does anybody remember the bad news bears? That's dating me a little bit. Uh, but they were a bunch of ragtag, some losers. I mean, some of these guys, they were not who you'd want on your team, but Jesus picked them. And I think he picked them to reflect to us that Jesus, Jesus doesn't have, the, have, have to have the varsity squad. He's happy with the JV. In fact, he can do more with the JV than the average person can do with the varsity squad. Does that make sense to anybody? He doesn't need the most talented or the best looking. He can use people like me or you. He can use us, and that's what he wants, and that's what we see is that whosoever can come under Christ and receive salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says this. Let me move on. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And this word redemption can be so churchy at times. We hear this word redemption, and it's easy to, um, to just let it blend into the white noise. But when we think of redemption, I, I, a lot of times we'll think of coupons. Does anybody clip coupons? Some of you are like, uh, 
Yeah, I clipped coupons. Um, so my mom used to clip coupons a lot, and we would go through, man, we would get the Sunday paper just for the coupons. That was it. And so, man, we'd have stacks of coupons when we'd go to the grocery store. There's extreme couponing. Have you ever seen the show Extreme Couponing? Like, well, this is wild, we're couponing, woo, right? It just seems funny. Um, so they, they get all these coupons, and you'll have this guy that will go to the grocery store, and he'll buy like, you know, like 110 gallons of, of conditioner, and he's bald, he doesn't even have hair, but he's like, yeah, right? Scored a deal. It's like, that's going to sit in your basement forever, but that's okay. Um, what are they doing? They're clipping the coupons and they're redeeming the coupons. I'm bringing the coupons in and I'm redeeming the coupons to get something in return. Um, but that's what we think of a lot of times with this word redemption. If you look at it in the context, this word redemption actually has more to do with slavery. So it actually has more to do with purchasing someone out of slavery than it does this idea of like a coupon. And so when we look at it in those kind of contexts, we have to understand uh, that it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. So in Christ, we have redemption. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. So Christ's blood has purchased the price for us. So in a very literal way, we are on the auction block, that we are slaves to sin, and the blood of Christ pays the price for us to live in freedom. That's pretty incredible. Can you imagine being bound up in slavery your whole life and someone rescues you and says, no, 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 I'm going to buy you and I'm going to give you the life you dream to have. That's what Christ does for us in a very real sense. Um, in, a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing the Walk for Freedom and uh, we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, and, and really what we're doing is working with an organization called A21 and we are helping rescue people out of slavery. There are more people on planet Earth today in slavery than at any other time in human history. So there are more slaves on planet Earth today than ever before. And, and we feel like if our churches ignore that, then we're ignoring one of our primary responsibilities is to set the captive free. That's why Jesus came, one of the reasons. So anyway, that's a side note. I didn't mean to get into all that. Um, but in a very real sense, we've been redeemed. We've been rescued from slavery and sin. And it says the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And again, we, we tend to to drift into this idea that, man, if I just go to church enough, then I'm acceptable to Christ and I'm good enough to go to heaven. If I just, if I'm nice enough, if I wave enough people in in traffic, you know, then okay, I'm good. But at the end of the day, none of those things are worth anything. The only thing that satisfies the, the price for us is the blood of Christ. And we couldn't do that on our own. That's what God did for us. He sent his son. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. And it's the grace of God that saves us. In fact, in just a, a couple of weeks, we're go, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And it says there that we're saved by grace through faith. Um, so we'll explore that. We'll talk about that a little more here in a few weeks. Um, so we can't take credit because we believe. We can't get, take credit, like I said earlier, because we go to the party. Uh, because we couldn't go to the party if we weren't invited. And, and God extends an invitation for us to become a child of God. So he gets all the credit. Verse 8, it goes on to say, um, it finishes the thought from verse 7. So it says, according to the riches of his grace in verse 7. And then in verse 8, it comes back and says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Um, several things I want to walk through with you here. It says, um, I love this idea. It says, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. Um, has anybody seen the news about Texas? Not just 
Houston, but in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there was a rush on gas stations for gasoline. Did anybody see that? So people were, were there was a rumor going around that gas was going to be in shortage, a uh, shortage of gas in, in the VFW area. So people were going to gas stations and topping off their gas tanks. They were taking gas cans, filling up as much gas as they could. And it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because they, they weren't supposed to have a gas shortage, but they ended up having a gas shortage because everybody went and got gas. So there was, a, but this, I, there was this idea, I've got to go get some gas because I might not have any. And what if well, there's not enough? And there's this lack mentality that we have sometimes, even when it comes to our relationship with God. What if God doesn't come through? What if he doesn't get enough? What if, what if I need more? And I love this idea because what it, what it clearly states to us is that um, God's grace is lavished upon us. It's, nothing is held back. That all the grace you need is available for you. Everything you need for your life is available and he's willing to pour it out on you, lavish it on you if you'll receive it. Um, I, I used to drink soda. Like, I was physically addicted for a while to like Dr. Pepper and then I weaned myself off that and I was on diet Dr. Pepper, which is way better because then I wouldn't get you know, diabetes, I'd just get cancer. So anyway, um, <laughs> so I'm finally off of soda now. But when I, I used to go to my sheets in the morning and I would get the big you know, thing from sheets and and I would do the fountain drink. And, um, and I'm a cheapskate, so I would get down and I would get like eye level with the cup and I would fill that bad boy up. And I didn't leave an inch or a half inch in there. I would get it all the way to the brim. You know what I'm talking about? Where you get it to the brim, it's actually cupped over. There's like a dome of soda. It's like precariously held on there. And if another drop comes in, it's all spilling out. You know what I'm talking about? Has anybody else ever done that? Okay, you're a bunch of cheapskates too. That's good. Um, so what happens is, man, you, I want as much in that cup as I can possibly get. I want more than it will contain. And this is what we have to understand. God's grace is not limited for us. He will give us more than we can contain. He wants to give you as much grace as you possibly need in your life and then some. He will lavish his grace on you if you'll just simply receive it. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Um, And we've talked about mystery a little before. Um, But this word mystery here, it actually means revealed mystery. So it's that which was once a mystery that has now been revealed. Um, and what is the mystery of his will? Well, he makes it clear that God's will for us is to be reconciled back to him, to know him in relationship. And so he makes his will known. So so many times we pray, God, I need to know your will. Help me know who I need to marry or where I need to move or jobs or all these kind of things. Help me know your will. But I can tell you what the will of God is for your life. The will of God for your life is to be reconciled to Christ in salvation. That's what he wants. That's his desire for you. So he has revealed his mystery to you. Um, I, I used to love comic books when I was a kid. I still like comic books. But when I was a kid, I learned to read on comic books. We'd go to the department store. We had TGNYs down south. Um, and so we'd go to TGNY, and I would get a, a comic book, 25, 35 cents. And that's how I learned to read. So I loved superheroes. And one of the things I never understood was Superman. Um, all he would do was put on glasses and, like, fix the spit curl in his hair. And nobody recognized him, including his girlfriend, Lois Lane, the intrepid reporter like if she's so smart why is she not put the pieces together on this thing right if you remember the old movies with christopher reeve there was a scene in one of the movies where he takes off his glasses and he's going to tell her that he's superman lois and he takes off the glasses and then he just can't do it and he puts the glasses back on right so he wants to reveal the mystery but he, he can't do it and this is this is the god we serve he's not continually trying to keep you in the dark god our god is continually taking the glasses off and going no 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 
I, I want you to know who I really am. I want you to see who I really am. I want you to experience who I really am. That's the God we serve. He's not trying to keep us shrouded in dark and keep us in mystery. He wants us to, to understand the revealed mystery of who he really is and what he's got for us and, and what he has in store for us if we'll just listen and just respond and just simply trust him. John chapter, 60, uh, John chapter 6, verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, this is Jesus speaking, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That's God's will. We see this over and over. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says this, In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Um, it's kind of morbid to say that you would want an inheritance. I realized that earlier. So let's say um, someone you don't know, distant relative, passed away, and someone showed up at your house and said, hey, you've got this great aunt five times removed that you've never met, you didn't even know existed. She passed away, and she left you $30 million. How many people could get excited about that? So, yeah, that was the most spiritual thing that happened today. You're like, yes, Lord. Like, I could feel the presence, right? Like, let it be so. Amen, right? Um, you could get excited about that, couldn't you? But what we see here is uh, that we have an inheritance waiting on us. Um, see, an inheritance usually is given to an heir, or it's given to someone who has in close relationship with. So typically it's not your, your great aunt five times removed. It's someone you're in relationship with. It is somebody that you are an heir to. You're going to receive an inheritance. And this is what we have to understand. Our Heavenly Father has an inheritance for us that's way better than $30 million. He's got an inheritance for us that we receive because we are co-heirs with Christ. So we are seated with Christ in, in authority with him. And, and the same thing that he gets access to, we, we get access to. The same inheritance he has, we have. Because we are co-heirs. Because we are special to our Heavenly Father. We are named in the will. So what we have to understand is um, that we have an inheritance waiting for us. Just like we talked about earlier. This is having been predestined. Again, we come back to this word predestined. I want to shift it just a little bit. Um, understand that God didn't say you're in, you're out. What God did is he knows what's going to happen, but he doesn't make it happen. Um, so he doesn't make people choose him or not choose him, but he sees what's going to happen. Um, but what he did do is he predestined a plan. God knew that Adam and Eve would fall in the garden, that, that sin would wreck what he planned for planet Earth, and that everything would be fractured and broken, and that someday he would restore everything back to himself. That's, he knew that was going to happen. So he predestined a plan, and he, you were part of that plan. Did you know that? That he said someday there's going to be a group of people in Indiana, Pennsylvania. They're going to be somebody that's hurting and, and needs me desperately, and I'm going to put a plan in place to bring them home, to reconcile them back to myself. And that plan was through Jesus Christ. So he determined that at the beginning of time. He knew that was going to happen, and he was planning for you to know him in relationship. That's pretty incredible, that, that he planned that in advance for you and for me. The last part of that verse is so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be might be to the praise of his glory. So it says here that when we're saved, it's not because we're great, it's because he gets all the glory for it. 
And I love that. Even in that moment, it's pointing people back to Christ and showing people how good he really is. Last part of this passage that we'll read and we'll be done. Verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So someday we'll take possession of our inheritance, and what it's talking about is when we come into heaven someday. That eternity, that, 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 that gift when we get to heaven. And again, when we get there, we can sp- talk about streets of gold and mansions and all those kind of things, but none of those things are going to matter because we'll be in the manifest presence of God, so everything else will be pointless and meaningless. Nothing else will matter because we're going to be standing in the manifest, tangible presence of God. Uh, so in that moment, our inheritance, none of those things will matter. Scripture actually says that those who receive a crown are going to cast it at the feet of Jesus. We, none of those things will matter. So when we come into our inheritance someday, uh, that's going to be great. But what about between now and then? Well, the great thing is we talked about the Holy Spirit back in June, who he is and what he does. We talked about him again back in October. You can recap those if you'd like. But what the Holy Spirit does in a very real sense is he is with us at salvation and he seals our heart. He guards our heart and protects us. So just like the Secret Service travels with the president to make sure no one assassinates him, no one gets him off course, um, what the Holy Spirit does is he guards our heart guards our salvation so that it doesn't, doesn't get snatched away, doesn't get stolen, doesn't get lost, so that, that we can end up at our destination, so that we can end up at the place where we can receive our inheritance someday. That's such a great assurance for me that just because I have a bad thought doesn't mean my salvation disappears. Just because um, I have a moment of weakness doesn't mean my salvation goes away because I've got bad news for you. I'm the pastor of this church and I sin every day. I just want to free you in that. It's okay. We're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to have bad days. But just because we do doesn't mean our salvation is forfeit. What it means is we're human and God is sanctifying us and growing us. But our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's so encouraging for me. And I hope that's encouraging for you. And I want you to know something. This whole, this whole passage is really about, it's really about Jesus. It's about making him Lord. It's about inviting him to be Lord of our lives and accepting his invitation to the party, if I can say it that way. And we have a choice to make, just like in Deuteronomy, life or death, blessing or curse. And you have that same option, that same choice today. And I want to invite you to make that choice. Because um, if you don't make the choice, you're still making the choice. So I just want to invite you today to make Jesus Lord of your life, to invite him in, to walk in that life that he has dreamed for you to live in and walk in. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over the room. If you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not walking with the Lord, but I, I know I need to be, I want to be. Um, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to choose life today. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here, you say, Mel, pray for me. I choose life. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Would you be bold enough just to put your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Thank you. Over here on my right, a couple of hands. Thank you. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to make him Lord. I want to choose life. Thank you. Up in the balcony, I see you up there. Praise God. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, pray for me, Mel? All right. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins on the cross. You didn't do that 
because I deserve it. You did that because you're good. I acknowledge your sacrifice and I'm asking you to forgive me today. Help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. Let me live a life that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give God a round of applause today. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want to encourage you. There's a card in the seat back in front of you. It says salvation on it. On one side, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, fill out the side that says salvation and simply drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave. There's two in the back of the room here, one in the balcony, and then there's one out these east doors as well. Just drop that in there on your way out the door. We want to help you grow in your faith and take the next step in your journey. If you can't reach one of the cards or maybe you're watching online right now and you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're going to text you back and get connected with you and help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's going to happen right now. These guys are going to lead us in one final song. We'll worship together. And while we do, our prayer team is available on either side of the stage to agree with you in prayer about whatever may be going on in your life. And then in just a moment, uh, Steph McCoy is our missions director. She's going to come and she'll close us out. I do want to encourage you though. One of our ministry partners uh, is here with us today. They're in a sensitive part of the world. So in just a moment, we're going to have to cut the live stream. But uh, I want you to stick around and just hear from them. It's exciting to hear what's happening in uh, and the influences Christians can have in Muslim nations around the world. So I want to share some of that with you in just a moment. So if you would, stand your feet all over the room. We'll worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.